Well, as Wade said, uh, my name is Ryan. Brittany said that as well, I think, as well. <laughs> Happy to be here again. Love coming to campus. Uh, some of you all know I, I, I got the, the chance to do college ministry for seven years, and um, my family moved here about two and a half years ago to take a job at Fort Worth Press, and we just, the college nature, the college love just is not out of us, and we hope that never happens. So I almost wanted to post a list for dinner signups. So look, if you just want to come to a random person's house for dinner, please give me a call. We'd love to have you over for dinner. <laughs> just, I love being here. Thanks for having me. Um, tonight we're going to talk about the high priest. That's what I thought. It's, it's, uh, it's not something that necessarily any of us were thinking about today. As a matter of fact, um, if you read it about it in the New Testament, it might be something that you associate with Jesus, but we really don't deal with anything of the high priest today because of Jesus, but it's helpful for us to understand it uh, because we learn something more about Jesus. And so uh, the text that we just heard talks, over, talk, talks a lot about Jesus as our high priest and I simply want us to take a moment to leave the New Testament. I know you've all been in 1 Peter, I think, right? And uh, to travel to Leviticus 16. I don't even know what's up here. Okay, good. And you don't, don't turn there. Um, this is just that book that once you turn there, you'll fall asleep. That's just what happens. So don't do that. And we're going to talk about the high priest. And I, I hope my goal is to make it a little bit uh, more palatable and interesting. But before I, for it, to, to get into that... Some of you all know I have four girls, and they're three, five, six, and eight. And so that means for me, uh, our house is not only getting louder at this point, but there's a lot more attitude that's <laughs> being ramped up. For the, Some of you know about that, maybe. I don't know. Um, and so if you deal with kids, maybe you have younger siblings, or maybe you babysit, I don't know. Um, you know, there's this thing called kid jail. We, time out, if you want to call it time out. I don't think that's carries the weight that I want it to carry, but we spend a lot of time taking our kids and putting them in places, you know, separating them from one another, separating them from us, not because we want to, but because they've done something to warrant that separation, right? So they said something, their attitudes, uh, they were mean to their sisters, um, or maybe mom and dad are just tired of them and we want some silence, so we put them in the bathroom. Just kidding. Just kidding. Maybe. Uh, you wait, you wait uh, until you have kids now. So we do that, and what we, what we want to do with that, this is not anything, you know, it's not rocket science, is, is we want to give them physical separation for the, for the point that they would realize, hey, I, I've done something, whether verbally, emotionally, psychologically, those are big terms for them at this point in time in their life, but I've done something to warrant this separation. And what we want, what we tell them is, you can come out of timeout when you're ready to be part of the family again. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, so you think at some point somebody would be able to manipulate the system and be like, I'm ready to go be with the family just to get out. They haven't figured that out yet. They actually <laughs> begin to come out and they apologize. It's great, great, come back to the table. You know, you can play with your sister or whatever. Um, but that's what we long to do. And, and, and certainly as two loving parents who um, were given these kids, for example, and we love them and we want them to know that, we can't think of anything better for them than to come and be back a part of what we're doing here, to rid ourselves of this separation that we are experiencing via timeout or kid jail. Um, what's the point here? When we talk tonight about the high priest, when we hear words like sacrifice or blood, I want you to think about the word separation. 
And I want you to think about that in terms of, of, of how our sin has separated us from God, yet he has created this really unique sacrificial system that we see about in the Old Testament that does find its fulfillment in Jesus later on. But he's created this system for his people Israel in the Old Testament in order to remedy the problem of separation between them. And I want us to look at this in three ways from the high priest's point of view. I want us to look at the, the clothing of the high priest. Yeah, we're going to look at the clothing, the cleansing, and the removing uh, jobs of the high priest, okay? And my aim is that when we actually sit there for a second and look at this, we'll begin to see Jesus more clearly when he shows up in the New Testament, okay? So let's look at the, the clothing uh, first here. When we talk about the high priest and we say, what's the job of the high priest? I want you to be able to say back to somebody, the job of the high priest is they are there to represent a group of people to God. Their whole calling in life is to go in and offer these sacrifices that you've probably maybe read about or heard about in the Old Testament. For the, and to do that in a form of representation. They represent the people of God and themselves. And these high priests were called by their, they're just like you and me, normal people. And they were picked out of a crowd, and they're the lucky ones. And so this is one of the first jobs of the high priest was, was to represent their people. But there was this special day called Yom Kippur, which is what means the Day of Atonement. And this was a really special day in the day of Israel where the high priest would come in and offer this once-a-year sacrifice that wiped out everything. And when he would do this, the first thing he would do was he would approach the temple in this specific clothing that I want to try to describe for you. I know you could Google that right now. Try to hold off just for the sake. I want you to use your imagination. You can Google it later and fact check me if you want to. But um, the first thing he would put on, I know this is going to sound crazy for the Day of Atonement, is this apron-like ephod. All right, it was an apron-like ephod that went over the shoulders of the high priest. It carried two onyx stones on its shoulders and was set in gold. And the reason it was set in gold is because gold was one of the heaviest uh, metals at the time. And it would weigh on the shoulders and he would feel the weight of those two stones. And on those two stones, six names were written on one side and six names written on the other. And if you're doing the math, that's 12. And that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, represented the people that he was representing on his shoulders. This is what the ephod held. The next piece of clothing I want you to think about visually is the breastplate. This would fasten on the front of that ephod, and it had precious stones in it as well. It had 12 of those, actually. And each of those stones, which lay over the heart of the breastplate, was a stone representing, again, the 12 tribes of Israel. So there are 12 of those stones. And so you're starting to get the picture here. You've got the 12 names up here. You've got the 12 uh, ruby, uh, stones here that represented God's people that he'd wear of his heart. And then lastly, the headpiece, the priest was crowned with this turban that read, Holy to the Lord. And so what you begin to see here with the ephod and the two onyx stones on the shoulders, which represented the 12 tribes of, of Israel, the breastplate with the 12 stones, and then the, the hat I'll call it a hat, with the holy, that read, Holy to the Lord. This person would go into the temple on the Day of Atonement representing Israel themselves. What's the point? It's representation. Visual, visually speaking, the clothing of the high priest functioned to bear the weight of Israel 
on the priest's shoulders. And you would stand out there. This isn't this wasn't something he would just do in, in private. Like you would stand out there. You, everybody would come to the gates of the temple, which we're going to talk about in a second. And you would watch this guy walk up. And he would be wearing this. And you would know that he is representing myself here. Um, this old scholar, J.A. Moyer, says this. He says, He, the high priest, was known before the Lord, not by his name, but by their names, meaning the names of the people of Israel. In other words, with his clothing, the high priest became them, as it were, and took all that they represented, all their sin and mess and injustice, all their obedience and all their disobedience, all their inadequacies and all their accolades, into the temple before God to atone for them. He was known before God, not by his name, but by the name of the people. And this is the first thing we see through the clothing. The next thing we see as he enters this temple is the cleansing then for the people. So once a high priest was dressed, he would enter that temple. And this temple, you probably have heard this described, this kind of two rooms. So picture a room like this, and then there was another inner room. So the first room, the big room, is called the Tent of Meeting in the Old Testament. And then there's this Holy of Holies, uh, uh, which uh, represented another room where the Ark of the Covenant was. Right? So we've, I want you to start thinking about Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. That thing, right? Melted the faces of the Nazis, that thing. Okay? So it's in there, and it's got, like, it's got the, the, Moses' tablets, Ten Commandments in there. It's got a few other things in there. Um, and this is what was sitting in there. And so here, listen to this. So entering the room... Aaron, the high priest, would take this vessel of blood and he would take a goat with him. This gets kind of important. And he would go into the first room and he would take that vessel because he had to make purifications for sin for himself first. If he went in there without doing that, because he's just like you and me, he would be, he'd be killed. Uh, so the high priest had to atone for his sins first because it's just like anyone else. If he didn't do that, um, you know, they would oftentimes they would tie ropes around these guys' ankles in case something just didn't go right. Um, it's another story for another day. So the first room was that. He would burn incense then to create this cloud of smoke. And maybe some of you all wonder, what, the, what is the cloud of smoke? You'll see some other uh, worldly religions use this. Um, once, he was in, once there was enough smoke, then he would enter the Holy of Holies. So you walk into the first room, you light this incense, you create this cloud of smoke, and then you're ready to go into the Holy of Holies. And what that smoke would do would actually create a cover for you. So that as you were in the presence of God himself, the glory cloud would not consume you. So you get the picture here. So he went in there, and then he would take the blood, and he would put it on the Ark of the Covenant. He would basically atone for his sin there. Dr. J. Sklar says this about the incense cloud, that it protected him from death by shielding him from the exposure to the Lord's glory. So I want you to feel the weight of this, right? I want you to imagine yourself even doing this. If the high priest made it this far, he took that vessel of blood, as I said, that he collected from the priest, and he to first make atonement for his sins, and he sprinkled it uh, on, on the uh, cover there. And after sprinkling the bull's blood of, uh, on the ark cover to atone for his sins, he took this goat. All right, so this, there's two goats in the story. This is the first one. And he held the goat down, and this gets pretty graphic, but he had to hold the goat down, and he had to slit the goat's throat. Now, I want you to sit there in that moment for just for a second, because I don't know if you're like, I didn't experience any of this growing up. Maybe some of you all lived out on ranches or farms, and you have had to put down an animal. But I want you to think about being that high priest for a second. I want you to think about cutting that goat's throat and staring at it in its eye as it bleeds out for the sins of yourself, your family, and for your people. 
That gets kind of real, doesn't it? Right? I say that, and I know that could be a little bit, you know, tough for some people to hear, but what is God communicating to this people through this? That your sin costs something. And we, we, we stand on the other side of this, thank the Lord because of Jesus, but we also miss the brutality that Jesus went through because we don't get all the signs that pointed to his final death. But Israel got those signs. They walked in there, they took this goat, and they held it down, and they cut its throat till it was dead. Because that is the only way that you and your family could be atoned for. They would take that blood, and they would put it on the altar, and if all went well, then you would leave. But there's something interesting here about this moment, about, the, about this goat that we need to talk about, that Leviticus 16 talks about. And it gets specific about sin. And I know we talk about sin, perhaps maybe here at RUF, or you know, we talk about it in our, at our lunch table, right? Um, but sin can be abstract. You know, what, what does that mean? And Leviticus is really helpful here because it talks about two different types of sin. It talks about unintentional sin, that, that, the, that the goat is uh, atoning for on the Day of Atonement. And it's talking also about sins of rebellion. Unintentional sins, according to the text, are sins that the people of Israel have committed, but they have no idea they've committed them. Sins of rebellion, on the other hand, are sins that are so bad. Murder could be other things worse than that that there actually isn't any sacrifice for them. There's no way for them to make atonement for that. So they're either left to leave the, leave, leave the community and go somewhere else and live in, as, as, you know, as an exile, essentially, or wait for this day when the high priest would put on the ephod and all the gear and go in and make this atonement where both sins unintentional but also sins of rebellion, as the scripture talks about, would be atoned for. What, what is this? What, what are we saying by this? We're saying and acknowledging that what God is allowing for in this moment is for you to have things that are, that are atoned for that you don't even know that you're committing. Things you don't even know that you're doing. And you might think, hey, that's unfair. We can talk about that. But at least as far as the text is concerned, like, he's offering this for you. He's offering this to you. And this begins to show us a couple things about ourselves that maybe we're not as good as we think that we are. Maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was today. And that I need something outside to come in and clean and atone for my sin. I need this day of atonement. At the same time, some of us might think, man, I've done some pretty bad things. I don't even deserve to be here or around any church or anything like that. And you associate churches as as being these places that you just, they have no business being around because you've done something that weighs you down. What this text is also saying to you is there's nothing that you can do also that is outside of the grace of God to atone for as well. That's the sins of rebellion that's being pictured for us. So both the unintentional, the the good works that you think are great, but maybe you're not aware of that, man, these, these are still falling short, but also the things that you think are just abominable that nobody could hear and still love me. Both of those things are being met and dealt with here in the temple. Okay, so I want to move on from here. This is the cleansing. And, you know, I think we're starting to see the picture here of, of where, how Jesus shows up and starts to begin to fulfill this. But I want to talk about one more thing, because you can, you can, ha- you can have representation, you can have cleansing, but it, it doesn't do anything unless that sin is removed. Um, 
occasionally I'll, I'll do some running around our neighborhood um, over here. And um, I'm not a, I know this is going to surprise you, I'm not a, like a great distance runner or anything. And I just like to go out, clear my head, get a little exercise, sweat a little bit. And so three miles tops and I'm done. And on this one particular run, um, I decided to take a different route. And I'm, I'm usually conscious of the fact that trash is usually picked up on Tuesdays. No, Wednesday mornings on my street, like today. Uh, so I want to stay away from other streets that, aren't, that, that it's not picked up on, right? Well, I make a turn, and I'm kind of towards the end of my run, and I'm, let's just say I'm just ready to stop, right? And I come up to this driveway, and, man, I just know I'm, I'm getting a strong smell, and I realize they have left their trash out here. And I thought maybe they just, maybe the trash people didn't pick it up, or maybe they were late getting it out, and they just told them, kind of drove, drove on by. But as I keep going, and this is sort of the only way, way back at this point, I realize that it's not just their house, it's every single house down this street. So here I am sucking wind, right? But I've got all this street of trash that's just blowing in my face. I almost called my wife, so could come pick me up, but I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so I muscled through. Um, what's the point here? You, you can clean up the house, right? You can get, get rid of all the junk in the house, but if it's not removed, it doesn't matter. So we, we can have cleansing for our sin here, but something else has to happen to that. There has to be separation. There has to be, there has to be some, something has to be cut off for this. And this is where the second goat would come in, and I think it's actually fascinating. After cleansing the people of their sin, the high priest would come out of the Holy of Holies, out of that tent of meeting, and he would stand before the, before the people. And Aaron, as we read, would then grab the head of the goat, and he would begin taking the second goat and start confessing over it. All right, now you're, you're watching this. <laughs> so you see him come out, blood on the apron and all, meaning, okay, atonement's been made. All right, your sins of rebellion have actually been atoned for. And then he takes the second goat, and he starts putting his hands over it, and starts confessing the sins of the people on this goat. But this goat he doesn't kill. This goat he sends actually out into the wilderness away from the people. And it was to a physical representation that if you were confused or if you questioned whether or not those sacrifices that happened in there, whether or not they cleansed your sin, you're now seeing what God is trying to communicate to you, that your relationship is now okay because your sins are as far from me as this goat is far from you. Think about the grace that that was to those people to see that and to experience that and to witness that, to know that the weight of their sins, all that they would carry, their burden, was now removed from them. I want you to imagine, again, as I said, being in that crowd, seeing the high priest come out with the blood on his apron, what that represented, having cleansed you before God, with that one goat, but then watching your sins literally removed as the other one ran off. <clears throat> Seeing it as the scapegoat, as it ran away, being as far from you as the east is from the west. And for this day, for this special day of atonement, for this special day where the high priest would come in and make these sacrifices, you, you were no longer separated from God. You were brought back in to be a part of his family. You were given a second chance, if you want to think about it like that. You were given grace, okay? So before we leave that point, I just want you to think, is, is it possible? Is it possible for you to think of whatever the worst thing is that you could, thought, that you could think of possibly doing or committing, or maybe even the best thing? Is it possible to have those things completely removed and wiped off your record 
before God? Is it possible to have that guilt taken off of your shoulders? Is it possible to know that as you leave this room, that you are actually right with God? And what this text says and what the high priest is showing us is that we need someone to represent us. You need a representative. Not just in Washington, I didn't even bring that up, but you need one spiritually, right? You, you cannot self-atone. You can't fix this problem. What the high priest shows us is that we need representation, someone to make you clean and someone to remove that sin. And what Jesus has come to tell you this evening is that he has done this for you. So when we start reading in Hebrews about how Jesus is now this new high priest, this is what those people are thinking about. No more ephod, no more goats, no more bloody altar. Jesus himself on the cross bleeding out for you and for me. Representing us. So I ask here as we close, do you dare to look at Jesus this evening and to see him wearing the ephod and the breastplate as the high priest did, except this time it doesn't have the 12 tribes of Israel on its shoulders, right? It's got Ryan Moore scratched in there. It's got your names written in there as he represents you in exchange for his perfect record. What this text tells us is you need someone like that and you have it. You have that representation this very moment. You also need someone with a better record than you to actually give that record to you. And this gets to the fullness of our sin. Do we see that through this temple sacrifice? The cost of what it, would, what it would take to make us right with God. And that this cost was temporary in the temple, but what Jesus gives us is this perfect, eternal record before the Lord. We don't deserve that. There's nothing I've done that deserves that. But he gives it to us anyways, and that is grace. We get, exchange, we get the exchange of that perfect record, and he takes what? He takes whatever it is that you think that you cannot be forgiven. <clears throat> and at the same time, he takes whatever it is that you think makes you acceptable. Is it, all, it all goes on the pile and it's all died for. You need someone with a better record than you. And this text is telling you, you have that. You have that in Jesus. Lastly, your sins must be removed. They must be cut off. And this is where the cross really begins to become weighty for us and really begins to show up because where you and I deserve to be sent out like that goat, but Jesus is the one who was cut off for us on that cross. He's the one that experiences the eternal separation that we would have experienced for that brief period had he not been perfect. He experiences that separation from the Father so that you and I can never experience that separation ever again. Ever. There's no moment for those in Christ, there's no moment in this life, death, and eternity where you will be separated from the Father because of Jesus Christ. That means wherever you find yourself on your deathbed or wherever you find yourself in an exam, or maybe that's the same thing for you, God is with you. He is with you. Jesus has made this so. You need to be, you need your sin, all my sin needs to be removed, it needs to be cut off from us, but Jesus does that for us anyways. Jesus has done this for us. He is our great high priest, as the text says. He who has no, he was, excuse me, he who was known before the Father, not by his name, but by your name, so that you could have his perfect name and that you and I could be accounted sons and daughters of his. What is this language? It's family language. It's, 
it, it's, it's stopping what, what is causing us to be separated from him and bringing us back to the table. And I want you to think about one thing before we leave here too. I know I've said this twice. This is grace, friends. You have representation. Your sins have been removed and cleansed. That is grace, and that is the new clothing you and I wear. And what this campus needs, what this place needs, is for a group of people to begin modeling and wearing that grace out into the hallways, into the dorm rooms, into your fraternity and sorority houses, right, throughout Fort Worth. Right? Forget about what happened on fall break. This is a new day. Right? And you need that grace, and I need that grace, and the people sitting next to you need to see that. And what would it look like for this place to be transformed and changed because people were walking around extending the same grace that they are getting through Jesus and his cross to one another in this place? That is a, that is a place that I want to be a part of. That is what TCU needs. We don't need right another... Um, you know, fill in the blank, right? We don't need another project. We don't need another uh, campaign to, to end something. We need people loving the people next to us. And y'all are aware of that. And y'all be, can begin to do that because of the gospel of Jesus. And that's, what this, that, that's where this really drives us home. We are clothed in his grace. And so the only question that you have then as we look at this before we leave here is to say, look, do I want to be a part of that? Do I want this? And to use the familiar language, do I want to be a part of this family? Right? And you have to ask yourself, like, why, what would cause you not to want to come back into the presence of a loving Father who has said to you over and over, come and sit down and be with me. I want to be with you. That's his invitation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this text, and I thank you for giving us this weird office called the High Priest. And these weird clothing, this weird clothing and this weird sacrificial system that cleanses sin and even this stranger way of removing it. But when Jesus shows up to us, we begin to put it all together and we begin to see just how he represented us, how he cleansed us and how he removed our sin by being cut off for us. What a beautiful picture that is. And may that be the picture we leave here, knowing that we are right with God, but we have a message to give to the rest of this campus and to the rest of this world. The message of grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ. I pray for that for these people. Pray for that for this community. Would you go with us in that? We pray this in your son's name. Amen.